Well, good morning, Timberline. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, today, we're going to be finishing up uh, the series that we've been in, uh, in the book of Habakkuk, uh, Living by Faith in a World of Darkness. Uh, and if you have your Bibles with you, uh, you can turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 3. Uh, we're going to begin today in verse 17. It's just three short verses today. But what we're going to see today, um, really the title of, of our message today is that the fact that God is sufficient. The sufficiency of God. And we're going to see that when all is lost, even if all is lost, that God is more than enough. And, and I think what we'll see today and what we have seen over the course of this, this short little book of Habakkuk is a transformation that has taken place in Habakkuk's life. A transformation that I think we can pray will also be in our lives this morning. So let's read the Word of God. You can stand with me and read it. Uh, we stand because we believe God's Word comes with full authority, uh, that it's inspired by Him. Uh, and so please uh, join me. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. And he makes me tread on my high places. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this book of Habakkuk. And these words, I pray, God, today that you would strengthen and encourage your people that we would be deepened in our faith and our understanding of who you are and your great mercy towards us. And I pray for anyone here today who may be listening who does not yet know of your goodness and your grace. May, may each of us today grow in our faith and may some today come to faith in you. And so, Lord, would you bless the teaching of your word here this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Habakkuk was living with these two tensions. And the tension on the one hand that we've seen in the book of Habakkuk, as Pastor Nick has walked us through, is that he's living amongst a people uh, who are recklessly living as if there is no God on the one hand. They're, they're sinfully rejecting and rebelling against God on the one hand. And on the other hand, they're doing so as if they will never have to give an account to God. As if there will be no judgment. And, and in reality, this is the same tension that we live with as well. Th think about in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is, is living amongst people who have who've experienced God's goodness and His grace. They know the God who delivered them from slavery in Egypt, who took them through the Red Sea, who provided for them and protected them in the, in the wilderness and led them to a land that flowed with milk and honey. And yet, even after they settled down in that land and they were prosperous, they've turned away from God. They've forgotten Him. And, and Habakkuk is not only seeing people turn away from God in his day, but he's, he's also experiencing the consequences that that has on the community. He, he describes it. In fact, this is what forms the, the very complaints or questions that he has in chapter 1. 
where he comes to God and he says, how long, God? How long will we have to cry out? And then he lists off some of the, some of the consequences. He's saying there's in the face of violence and, and sin and destruction and strife. And then he says that there's no one following your laws, God. And, and it seems as though justice has been perverted. It's been turned upside down. And later in verse 13, his complaint, he says, It seems as though wicked traitors are overshadowing or swallowing up the righteous. And Habakkuk is looking at all this and he's saying to God in a bit of a question or a complaint, he's saying, God, how long will this go on? It seems as though you are silent. It seems, God, as though you are idle. How long will you let this continue? And God's answer to Habakkuk is simply, he says in verse 5 of chapter 1, I am doing things, he says, in your days that you would not believe if I told you. He, he assures Habakkuk that he is not idle, he is not silent, that God is doing things that Habakkuk can't even comprehend in his mind. It really affirms what Isaiah says where he says, God, your ways are above our ways. Your thoughts above our thoughts. Who can understand? And, and so Habakkuk, God is affirming to Habakkuk, I am at work even if you don't understand it and you cannot see it and you wouldn't believe it if I even told you. I am not silent. I am actually working my purposes and my will out even in the midst of of darkness and sin and strife, which he then points back and God reveals his character and his goodness and his sovereignty to Habakkuk and shows him who he is in all of his glory and all of his grace and all of his mercy. And he's saying in essence to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, you're going to have to trust me. Even in, the, even in the midst of sin and rebellion and even in the midst of these these the effects of that on your community and on the people that you know and on your own life, you're going to have to trust me, which is really the heart of this book to say that the just shall live by faith. You're going to have to live by faith. You're going to have to trust that the God who delivered you out of slavery in Egypt, the God who's provided for you, the God who's taken care of you, the God who has acted faithfully in the past, he will also be faithful in the future, even if it doesn't seem like it's happening in the present. And so Habakkuk is living with this tension. It's the same tension we live with, right? We, we too live in this tension. Sin, and sin has a devastating effect on everyone, right? Not just the one who's rebelling against God, it has an effect on all of us. That all of us are experiencing the consequences of sin, the same consequences that Habakkuk mentions, strife, destruction, violence. Habakkuk is looking and saying that it seems as though there is no justice in the world. Do you not feel that as well? Like it seems as though everything is turned upside down over and over again. I experienced this last week even in a situation where it just feels as though there is no justice and it's just maddening inside of you. You feel it in your bones and you're just, you're grieved 
by this lack of justice. This is what Habakkuk is experiencing. And what makes him really grievous about this is that he knows, God has made it known to him and to all the prophets in the Old Testament, that he is, there's a day coming. There's a reckoning in which God will judge his people for this. There's a day coming in which there will be an accounting for these things. And it will be devastating, and yet people don't care. They're living as if it doesn't even matter. And this is the stress, the strife inside of Habakkuk. You can feel this tension that we too live with. In fact, this is a very real tension for us. You see, as Christians, we too understand that we live in a world and amongst a people who are living as if there is no God. And not only are they living as if there's no God, they're living as if there's no judgment, as if there will be no accounting for our lives, as if we will never have to stand and give an account. And, and we know as Christians that the scripture says that we will all one day stand before God's judgment seat, that we will all have to give an account. And on that day, will we be found wanting? Will we come up short? Or, as Scripture says, will we come and will we be clothed in the righteousness of Christ? And so, we know as Christians that there's a day coming. The day that Habakkuk looked forward to happened when he, he saw that God was going to judge as he promised. And that happened in 586 B.C. The armies of Babylon came around Jerusalem for two years, they laid siege, laid siege to the city. They starved them out. They cut off all their supplies. People, people died in droves of starvation. They cannibalized themselves. They, it, was, it was a horrific two years of absolute destruction in Jerusalem until finally the king tried to escape in which they were, they were killed and many were taken captive. But, but we know as Christians that we know there's a day coming that's far worse than 586 BC. A day coming in which we will all have to give an account for our lives. And, and this tension, like Habakkuk, should cause us to look around at our world and to be grieved at times, to be sad, and to have a sense of urgency, like the prophets in the Old Testament, to cry out to God, God, how long, but also to cry out to our neighbors and friends and to to call upon them to see the goodness of God, to know this God who loves them, who's, who's sent His Son to die on a cross for them that they might have eternal life and not eternal damnation. And so, so we, we ought also to feel the tension that Habakkuk felt, that, that even though we live in this, we feel these consequences of sin, we, we want people to see the goodness of God, to come to faith, in Him, to live by faith, to trust Him with their lives, that one day when they stand, when all of us stand before God, we will not be found wanting. We will not be come up short, but we will be found to be in Christ. Um, and so, that's a quick summary in one sense of what Habakkuk is feeling in terms of the tension. But then we come to our text. And even as Habakkuk is asking these questions and wrestling with these things throughout the course of these two chapters and three chapters, God is, God is continually showing Habakkuk his character. He's showing Habakkuk that you can trust me, 
He's showing him his faithfulness and his goodness, that he will be faithful in every single way. And so in all of that, Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk has this transformation. And it's really seen in these last three verses. The, the points of this text are pretty simple. It just goes, it's three points, and each verse is a point. And the first point is found in verse 17, where the first point is simply, all is lost. What, what happens when all is lost in our lives? And I mean all is lost. I, Judah was an agricultural, their culture around Judah was agricultural. And so in verse 17, everything that he mentions here are the things that represent their livelihood. It, it, he's, he says, he, he goes through and he lists and he says that, that the fig tree is not going to blossom, there be no fruit on the vines, and that basically everything that makes up their livelihood, what if it's all gone? And in fact, in some ways, he's pointing to 586 BC, to the day in which Babylonians did surround Jerusalem and all was lost. They had nothing. They lost their lives, they lost their livelihood, they lost everything. But even, even in this moment, he's saying, what if, what if all is lost? What if everything in our lives, he's, in essence, he's saying, when he lists off all these things, he's saying everything. Every good gift that God has given to us on this earth, what if all of it was taken away today? What would we find out about our lives is there something in our lives that is, that is powerful enough, good enough to endure that? Is your belief system that you hold to, is your code of ethics or your, your God that you have thought up in your mind or whatever, whatever it is that you've built your life upon, is it strong enough to hold up when you and I lose everything on this earth? I was thinking about this probably more than normal. Um, when I was thinking about this on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday morning, I thought, like a lot of pastors, I thought, you know, oh, that'll, that'll preach. When, when everything is lost, when we find that God is more than enough, and it sounds like a wonderful little tagline, all is lost, but God is more than enough. He's sufficient, and we know these things in our heads. Um, and then Thursday night, um, as I was on a call, I got a call from the fire department, and I went and sat for several hours on, on a street in Lacey, with the dad who was experiencing just that. A dad who was experiencing the loss of his son. And, and even though on the one hand he hadn't lost everything, to him that night, last night, everything was lost. I mean everything. And as I'm sitting with him and he's holding his son, I'm thinking to myself, what if, what if this is my son? What if, what if this is my life? Is my 
relationship with God, my understanding of who my God is, is my faith in my God strong enough to hold up in that moment? Like, what is the actual foundation of our lives? And, and it, made me, it made it get really real for me to actually consider what would be my response. You see, Habakkuk declares in verse 17 that all is lost. After all of his questioning and wrestling, he comes to conclude that even if all is lost, in verse 18 he says, even if that's the case, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will find joy, he says. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You see, Habakkuk had learned as he's wrestled with God and, and wrestled with the real darkness and difficulties of life, he's come to conclude that even if all is lost, he is going to rejoice in his God. That he's going to rejoice in the God of my salvation, he says. See, God is his salvation. God is the one who has saved. God is the one who has provided for him. And, and God has provided him this picture of his faithfulness throughout all of history. So that, so that Habakkuk comes to this place to go, this is my God. He is enough. He is sufficient. He alone can provide for all of my needs. He alone has provided for all of my needs. And even if everything on this earth is gone, I mean, even if the worst thing happened, Habakkuk had concluded, I'm going to rejoice in the God who saves me, in the God who is mighty to save. It's a powerful picture, and I don't think he's saying it lightly. In fact, in fact, I know he's not saying it lightly, because his very next point, he's saying, yet, yet I will rejoice, he says, in verse, eight, or verse 19, he says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, and he makes me tread on my high places. He's saying, not only is God my salvation, not only is he the God who saves me out of sin and death and darkness and difficulties. If you read the Psalms, you just see it over and over again. The God who rescues me, the God who delivers me out of all of my troubles. And, and yet he says, not only does God save me, but God is also the one who gives me the strength to endure in the darkness that we are living in right now. He's the one who is, gives us the ability, the strength, to be able to press on, to press forward. I love, in fact, what Psalm 73 says, where he says, Whom have I in heaven but you, God? And the psalmist continues to say, And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. That's a powerful statement. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. In other words, all of these good things that God has given to us do not replace how precious God himself is. He says, my flesh and my heart, they may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and he is my portion forever. He says, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. 
you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But he says, as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all of his works. The psalmist was simply declaring what Habakkuk is saying, that, that there is nothing on this earth that is more precious than God. The God who made us, the God who loves us, the God who saves us, the God who protects us, the God who watches over us, not, not in spite of suffering and sin and sorrow and difficulties, but in the midst of it, and he helps us through it. And so, so Habakkuk is declaring that God is my strength. And he uses this example, this, this powerful little example. He says, he says that God makes my feet like the deer's. Now, I think if they would have maybe lived on a different continent, uh, they might they might have they might have uh, used the illustration of bighorn sheep. Um, I don't know about you, but I in South Dakota we had bighorn sheep, and that's really the the picture that he's giving here of the deer. But they didn't have bighorn sheep uh, where they would have lived in Jerusalem and Judea. But but he's saying that the feet of the deer. Is, 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 it gives them sure footing. It allows them to be able to, to have sure footing, to be able to scale uh, all kinds of terrain and go through all kinds of things and to have this sure feet. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, for, for me, the picture I got in my head was a bighorn sheep where if you've ever seen them almost literally go up straight up the side of a cliff. And they can do that because their hooves, just like the deer's hooves, um, are designed in such a way as to allow them to have sure footing, even, even in places that seem impossible to scale. And, and so he's actually saying that God is the one who gives us this sure footing. We don't have strong enough faith to trust God when everything is lost. God is the one who gives us the strength. God is the one who gives us the faith. God is the one who makes our feet like the deers or like the bighorn sheep. He makes our feet firm and gives us good footing. And then he, he says that the next half of this is he makes me. God makes me to tread on my high places. We often think about high places. Maybe the thought that comes to your mind is like scaling a mountain. Uh, you know, climbing, climbing mountains, but, but they didn't really, just for fun, do that back then. When, when, when he's talking here about high places, he's not talking about fun things. He's not talking about going up on the mountainside and looking over the beautiful scenery. Uh, when it refers to high places, he's talking about difficult places, places that none of us want to go. Like last night, sitting with a father who had lost his son. He's, he's talking about those kinds of high places. And, and, what, he's, and what, he's, what he's saying is that God, God is our strength, that he gives us sure footing to be able to scale the places that, that he will make us. He says, he makes me to tread upon my high places. Now, there's places where you and I do not want to go, but God leads me over these places and he gives me sure footing to be able to do it. He is my strength, as he's saying, that the God, the Lord, is my strength. 
He's the one who gives me the ability to press through the darkness and the difficulties of this world. He's the one who gives us the ability to be able to see him, to see him, to see God for all that he is and to be able to rejoice even when everything else seems to be absolutely lost. Friends, um, Habakkuk is an incredible picture of the transforming work that God is doing in every one of us. God, God is revealing himself to us to show us that he alone is sufficient that he alone is enough. No matter what happens in this life, no matter what happens to us or around us, God alone is sufficient. He's the God who has provided everything. He is the God who protects us and loves us and cares for us. And there's no greater way that he has demonstrated that than in the greatest provision ever, which is the sending of his son, Jesus. Where Jesus, he sent Jesus to this earth to live the life we could not live, to die a death on the cross in which we could not die. That we who put our faith in him would be brought into a relationship with him, that we would know him, that we would be saved from our sin, that we would inherit eternal life. So on that day of judgment that is coming, we would be found, not found wanting. We would not be coming up short, but that we would be found in Christ. We would be those who on that day, when everything comes to completion, when we stand before God, we would be found to be living by faith. And God is the one who gives us the strength to do that. Are you living by faith today? Are you trusting in him? I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, which really kind of sums up the, what, what God has done in, in Habakkuk's life. But Paul's expressing the same thing. He says, for I've learned in whatever situation that I'm to be content. And in this way, he's not talking about a, content in a negative way, like complacency or apathy, but, but learning to be satisfied. And he says, because I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In other words, I know, I know how, to, how to be in bad circumstances, and I also know how to be in good circumstances, in plenty or in want. He says, but in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. Catch that. I have learned the secret of facing both plenty and hunger, abundance and need, because I can do all things. How? Through him who strengthens me. Paul has come to the same place that Habakkuk has come to, that whether in plenty on the one hand or in want, I have learned the secret. The secret is that, that all things, in all things, I can do all things, I should say, through him who strengthens me. That God is the strength of my life. That, that it's, I think of Colossians where he says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. That God gives us the strength. And I just want to encourage you this morning um, to pray for God to give us this kind of faith. 
that no matter what we're going through, no matter how many difficulties, no matter what happens, that, that, that the very foundation of our life would be God Himself. And that we would come to experience Him, to have such a relationship with God, that no matter what happens, we would know that God is enough. If everything falls apart, that we would know Him, that we would love Him, that we would treasure Him for who He really is, that He would be the foundation of our lives. Do you know that today? Do you know God in that way? Have you put your trust and your faith in Christ today? I pray even now that you today would trust Him, that you would be, be a person, and I would be a person who would live our lives by faith in the God who made us, in the God who loves us, in the God who saves us, and in the God who provides for us and protects us and will one day one day restore our lives and everything in this world uh, to be better than it ever could have been. Is that you today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for, thank you for loving us, for providing for us. Thank you for blessing us in ways that we can't even understand. God, would you assure your people today that you are faithful, that you are sufficient, that even, even in this dark world, if because of sin, all would be lost, you would be more than enough, that we can trust you and we can know you and we can be satisfied in you alone. And so, Lord, would you comfort your people? Would you encourage them today? And I pray this in Jesus' name.